0: It's just after 10 past, and of course, it's health on Monday. Providing health care to homeless people. We've had them before on the show. That's the Dennis Hurley Centre. The director, Dr Raymond Perrier, is on the line. Some seven months after the start of the South African lockdown, of course. What is the situation for poor people? That is a question that we scarcely ask, and I suppose we should take the blame for that, and we are correcting that. World Homeless Day was commemorated on Saturday the 10th of October and of course this is the shift of tonight's conversation particularly with the slant towards the health of persons who are not living in the homes as we traditionally understand them to be Raymond Perrier good evening thank you so much for your time
1: good evening good to be back on the program and thank you for promoting me to doctor by the way but I'm Mr Raymond is 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 the real title
0: I'll let that one pass because the producers are the ones who tend to elevate people every now and then. But nonetheless, I think your comments would be worthy to be referred to in such terms. Let's talk about the work that the Dennis Hurley Centre in Durban Central has been doing for persons without homes and how in the light of the COVID crisis, specifically the lockdown, your work would have been seriously stretched, as would your resources have been.
1: Most certainly, yes. So um, the Dennis Hurley Centre has been around for almost six years now and we've been providing really the only specialist service in the country providing primary health care to homeless men and women. So inevitably we were right on the front line of what was happening during uh, the hard lockdown of COVID and you may recall that we worked with the municipality in Durban to organize emergency shelters all around the city centre to help people to be and protected during the hard lockdown. And our team worked a uh, uh, ridiculous uh, uh, number of hours and days uh, with a whole host of volunteer nurses and doctors, I have to say, to help provide health care to the individuals in those emergency shelters. Partly because I'm afraid the, the city health department was a little slow in responding to the, uh, to the need. Anyway, we've got through that, we've got through that period of lockdown, and now homeless people are back on the streets, back moving around as they were before, but their health issues haven't gone away. And one of the things we always need to remind ourselves is though homeless obviously are vulnerable as everyone else is to COVID, they're also vulnerable to a whole host of other things as well things which we probably wouldn't regard as, uh, as, as life-threatening or, or, or major health problems. But if you are living on the streets in unsanitary conditions, perhaps with uh, poor access to uh, nutritious food, then even simple things can be a major, a major block to good health.
0: And perhaps this is as good a time then to demystify certain myths that are oftentimes attached to persons who don't live in traditional homes, that their immune systems are strong and they wouldn't easily get as sick as perhaps you and I might in the circumstances of us catching a virus or a condition or the other.
1: Yes, and that's, um, uh, in a sense, COVID has, has, has given a chance to test that theory. Because what we have noticed is that very, very few homeless people have exhibited uh, COVID symptoms, even though uh, they've had obviously the opportunity to catch the virus. And as far as we know in Durban, we have 4,000 homeless people in central Durban. As far as we know, there hasn't been a single death, death from COVID among that among that community. So it is possible. One of the explanations is that homeless people on the streets. Uh, have developed such a level of immunity to, to all kinds of things, because that's how they've been able to survive, that they've been able to see off uh, see off COVID. Um, the health issues facing homeless people are actually much more basic. So TB is one of the main problems that, uh, face a, lot, that a lot of homeless people face. Uh, not surprisingly, a good proportion are HIV-positive And though they have access to antiretrovirals, then actually getting the antiretrovirals, taking them regularly, eating uh, frequently to make sure the antiretrovirals don't, don't in turn make them sick, all of that... Becomes, uh, uh, becomes an issue. A simple way of looking at it, imagine how often you go to see your doctor and the doctor says, take this medicine three times a day after meals. Well, that's all well and good for you and I to take three times a day after meals, but if you're not having a yeah. meal three times a day, then how do, take, how do you take the medication and how do you make sure it's effective? So one of the key things about how our health team work, there's a, there's a really good mantra they use all the time, which is they say they're not treating the illness, they're treating the patient. And if you're focused on the patient rather than the illness, you have to understand the circumstances in which somebody is living, that uh, perhaps they don't have, e- have easy access to keeping themselves clean. They don't have easy access to, uh, uh, to regular food. They don't have uh, a way of sleeping, sleeping comfortably at night uh, and to, to rest if they've got a, an, an infection or something. Uh, and so helping the person overcome
0: even basic health issues becomes much harder. Okay, let me just talk about access to health care. A lot of the challenges are not necessarily the kinds that typically pertain. The simple one for persons who don't come from homes or who we refer to as homeless is perception. They are oftentimes going to be turned away for reasons which, for dignity's sake, I'm not going to repeat, But just by them presenting themselves at a healthcare facility, that's enough for them to be turned away, not because the resources are not there, not because it is not operating time, not because the medical practitioner who could otherwise see them is not there, but simply because in the face of those who are in those institutions, they might not look the part. And I'm not necessarily blaming the health department, but even me and you typically would have attitudes in relation to sharing public spaces with members of the public.
1: Yes, and I'm afraid that's exactly what homeless people tell us, that if they present themselves at a government clinic then they might, be, uh, um, uh, they might get the cold shoulder from the, from the start there, but they're actually more likely to be mistreated by the other patients there, by the other patients in the queue who look at them and think they're a bit smelly or they're difficult or they're noisy or they, they, they don't fit in, and so they get elbowed out. So what happens pretty quickly is that a homeless person won't even go to a government clinic unless they're really desperate because they don't want to face yet another experience of rejection. So one of the advantages of our clinic as a specialized clinic working with homeless people is they know they'll be well treated. For example, if somebody turns up at our clinic and they're not clean, we can give them access to a shower so they can get themselves clean long before they see a medical practitioner, which makes them feel better about themselves, as well as it being making it easier for us to, to examine the person. What's also important about access is that, and we all do this, we all, we all know that we should go and see a doctor, but we don't quite get around to it or we think oh, it will go away by itself or I'll wait till it gets more serious. And sometimes by the time we see a doctor, something which started off as simple has become worse because we didn't intervene early enough. And exact, the exact same psychology happens with, uh, with homeless people. And so a big part of our work is to have a team of uh, medical practitioners who go out on the streets, go to places where homeless people are at the side of the road or sleeping in an abandoned buildings and provide health care there and then. And, and, and the key reason is to make sure that we intervene early enough to prevent a small problem becoming a bigger problem.
0: Mr. Raymond Perrier, Director at the Dennis Hurley Centre, having a conversation with us, the plight faced by persons without homes, especially in the light of COVID and their shortcomings in relation to accessing primary health care. If there's a story that you wish to narrate to us or a comment or question that you might have, we are more than happy to field your contribution, please, on 0891-104-207. Raymond, let's have a conversation in relation to the fact that now, probably more than ever before, we will yet see an upsurge in persons without homes given the economic climate in which we are now, and the fact that we have seen socioeconomically, or rather, the, the, the social structures in the country are not nearly adequate enough. To attend to the country's challenges, we could always blame politics and corruption and all of that. But the reality is, there's a greater demand for social services in this country than the social services themselves exist to meet such a demand.
1: Absolutely, and and you're right to say the what's missing is the infrastructure to to respond, not the resources. We have plenty of resources as a country. There is enough for everyone if it was spread around a bit more a bit more uh, evenly. Um, So we've certainly seen uh, um, uh, an uptake in the number of people who, for example, are looking for food on the streets of Durban, who aren't necessarily homeless yet, but certainly are hungry, and we're anticipating an increase in the number of people who are homeless uh, as evictions start happening again. Obviously, a lot of people have lost their jobs, are unable to pay rent, and and so on. So we, uh, we, and not just myself, uh, talking to colleagues in the National Homeless Network, we're all anticipating an increase in the amount of need on the streets. Um, and the big danger that people, once they're on the streets, then become much more vulnerable to uh, opportunistic infections, but also vulnerable to being drawn into addiction and then all the extra health issues that come with, come with addiction. Um, in fact, by and large, are sent in Durban when we 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 have done an analysis of addiction on the streets of Durban. It's not that they are addicts who end up as homeless, but rather homeless people who become addicts, uh, partly because that's one of the one of the few ways of of surviving on the streets and, and surviving the uh, the trauma of being homeless. So I hope it doesn't happen, but we mm. are certainly I mean, uh, anticipating that and, and preparing for that.
0: And that would be one risk factor in relation to what happens when the numbers increase, the sort of substance dependency on the part of those persons without homes. But equally, the vulnerability extends to me, extends to you, extends to some of our listeners or all of our listeners, because the more the desperation increases on the part of those who do not have, and to the extent that they are not reliant on substances, and even if they are reliant on substances, we may become a target, a soft target or or an easy access target for a quick fix. For something to abate the hunger, but in any way, there's no dignity for anybody involved in this entire enterprisal matrix of the increase in numbers of persons without homes.
1: Absolutely. So, so addressing homelessness, we should do because for for, for the good of the individual. But even if even if we're not focused on the individuals who are homeless, we should think about our cities and how much how much better our cities would be, how much safer they would be, how much healthier they would be if we address uh, the issue, the issues of, of homelessness. So, for example, something like uh, cholera, which is uh, which can often be a risk in cities. Uh, uh, cholera, as we've seen with with COVID, uh, these kind of these kind of epidemics affect everybody, not just the poor. Uh, but they may well start in poorer communities and spread from there. So, we need to keep reminding ourselves that addressing these health issues are these are public health issues. They are not the they are not the issues of of a small isolated, segregated minority of people, but rather people who are at risk of being infected and at risk of infecting others. And I hope that what COVID has taught us, not only in South Africa, but around the world, is the degree to which our health is completely dependent mm. on the health of other people. Uh, we, we, a society in which some people are healthy and other people are not healthy, doesn't survive very long.
0: Our health, our safety, there's just a great and a tremendous amount of interdependentness among all stakeholders in the South African enterprise or communities or even levels of um, sort of social levels. Here's what I really want to probe in terms of how practical is it to come up with solutions that are meaningful, that have an impact and Everybody involved walks away with a sense of dignity. For instance, is there a better way in which when we handle waste in our homes that it doesn't go directly to the rubbish bins, but rather can be deposited at a central place where then those who might not be so well Endowed with resources to buy their own food can access that food in a manner that also tells them and confirms to them the inherent self sense of dignity that they don't have to go through a rubbish bin to get food. For instance, the wasted space, especially in your urban setups, that could be used for food gardens. And also how to integrate the social housing schemes in the inner city so that there isn't this toxic relationship between those who have and have not because they simply do not belong and some cities make them feel that they don't belong through measures that ultimately gentrify people. How then could we use existing infrastructure which become low-hanging fruits in changing the narrative altogether?
1: So certainly food waste from people's homes, it, it's not appropriate to share. It, 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 uh, there's too little control over how it's been prepared and how it's been looked after. But we already have excellent systems in most cities uh, of food, uh, uh, food from supermarkets, which can't yet be sold but still can be consumed, being distributed uh, among NGOs and distributed to people in need, either families or to homeless people. So we've got good models of doing that. We can do all that a lot better. But the example you give of using wasteland—I've got a perfect, uh, perfect version of that in Durban. There's a group of homeless guys who are living in one of the emergency shelters that were set up during uh, during COVID by by a green municipality, and they noticed there was some some unused land at the end of the the property where they were staying. So they started growing vegetables there. They now have a fantastic, massive organic vegetable plot there, with, would you believe, three and a half thousand spinach plants under cultivation plus. Tomatoes and green peppers and runner beans and cabbages and lettuces, and they are growing, uh, growing wonderful food and selling it to the public and making a living from it. So they they spotted the opportunity, used their skills, and actually really contributed not just to their own their own lives, but the lives of the families living around them in the North Beach area of uh, of Durban. So once we, we there are so many more examples of that in way, of ways in which. We can use our resources and share land and share share opportunities to do things in a way which is a benefit to everyone and makes our cities much more livable as a result and more livable for everyone.
0: As great an example as that is, it does force us to almost have another conversation within the conversation. The question of land, inner city land particularly, and the use of inner city land.
1: Yes. I mean, we have, we have, we have the peculiarity in, in Durban, for example, of dozens and dozens of buildings owned by both uh, Etiquini municipality and by provincial government, which are lying empty while there are people uh, living rough on the streets, uh, because the ability to match supply and demand there and turn some of those buildings into shelters even after years of campaigning, uh, we've struggled to. We finally have done it in one small case. There was a building that we had been campaigning for two years to be turned into a women's shelter. It became the emergency women's shelter when we had to find shelter very quickly at the beginning of lockdown. And that's continued as a shelter now after the end of lockdown. But that's just one example. And you think, why does it take so much effort to do that for one building when there are so many other buildings and so many other ways in which we can use the assets that we which belong to us as a society. They don't they're only in trust to the government on behalf of on behalf of society. So let's see how we can use those for the benefits of
0: those in need and that question becomes more pronounced when you factor children into the mix of some children who've only ever known the streets because that's where they have been born Primary health care for them is something which, for the most part, doesn't exist. They don't know any of these health care facilities that, for the most part, many of our listeners would take for granted through their children. How, then, do we bridge that gap? Because it is especially pressing, given that it is now children who are the conversation.
1: Yes, and, and, and thankfully, there are specialist organisations in Durban. There's one called Eye Care. similar organisations in other parts of the country that are particularly focused on the needs of children on the streets. But ultimately, homelessness is not a big problem in, in uh, South Africa. The numbers are not overwhelming. It is a solvable problem. It's a manageable problem if we take it seriously as a political issue. And one of the things which COVID has done is drawn attention to that. And I hope the attention that, uh, that has been drawn to the plight of homeless in our cities means that municipalities will continue to see that they can do something it 's actually relatively inexpensive for them to respond to some of the needs um, and, uh, um, uh, and a way of both uh, both resolving the problem certainly containing the problem before it, before it gets larger and more and more unmanageable mm.
0: you talk about containing the problem i mean for a full thirty days thirty five days. We didn't have, open close quote a case of homelessness in that everybody was under a strict lockdown and shelters were built overnight for the purposes of housing persons who fall into that category. And of course, with the easing of the regulations and the dropping of the levels, so we see more people on the streets again. How could we have used that template of the hard lockdown for a more permanent solution?
1: So we've got a, a very concrete example of that here in in Durban. Uh, I mentioned the, the women's shelter which came on online as an emergency shelter which has continued. That that's a building. The the men shelters that were created were are marquees in parks, and some of those have continued not as shelters but as what we're calling safe open sleeping spaces. So on any given night in Durban at the moment, about eight eight hundred people are using those facilities. Those are people who would otherwise be trying to find a doorway to sleep in or sleeping on the, on the, in parks or sleeping on the beachfront uh, in situations which were not safe for them and also causing a nuisance to the neighbours. At relatively little cost, uh, it means the municipality has, has made life better for those people because they've got somewhere safe to sleep, but also better for the, for the neighbours around because, because homeless people are, are contained through the night in those spaces. It's not a long-term solution, but it's certainly a good medium-term solution while other long-term solutions are are sought and sometimes there is a danger that uh, uh, government tie themselves and not uh, desperate to find the or, or, or keen to find the long-term solution they actually don't do some of the easy things which could make a difference in the short term a, a, a very good example of that homeless people have to carry around with them everything they have because they've got nowhere to nowhere to keep things uh, a very, very easy solution to that is something Cape Town has done is simply to provide storage facilities so that homeless people can put their things in a safe locker during the day so they don't have to carry them around or stuff them into, into drain pipes to try and find a, place, uh, a safe place to keep them and and run the risk of, of blocking of blocking the drains. So sometimes there are some simple solutions that we are, I don't know, we become, we become mm-hmm. too uh, complicated and we, and we, and we overlook uh, and actually they could make... Are different. And the best way to know is to talk to homeless people and ask them what would make their lives better, ask them what would be easier for them. We, uh, we provide a, a laundry service at, at our centre so the homeless people can drop off their clothes and we wash them and dry them and return them to them. And we do that because we ask homeless people, what would make your life more comfortable? And they so the problem is, I can never wash my clothes properly, and when I can, I've got nowhere to dry them, so I end up in dirty clothes uh, uh, for, uh, uh, for too long. So, so simply asking people what they need, all we had to do was buy or, buy or get given a few washing machines and we can now wash people's clothes and pass them back to them. So, so let's not overcomplicate the, the issue uh, when sometimes there are simple solutions staring us in the face.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much then, Mr. Raymond Perrier, director at the Dennis Hurley Center. Any chance we might get Stephen Carpenter to join you next time? He will be over his shyness. I, I,
1: I, so so, so we, we have two fantastic uh, uh, medical practitioners who, who, who run our healthcare service, Dr. Stephen Carpenter. Mm-hmm and Ruth Burtressel, the nurse, who is the clinic coordinator, they are both, I'm afraid, very, very radio shy. I, I've been trying to encourage them and persuade them to talk about what they do. And the point they make, they say that we're very good at medicine, you're very good at talking, you do the talking, we'll do the medicine. Um, and I guess that's fair because I'd be a terrible, terrible doctor or nurse. Uh, so, uh, so I'm afraid I'm, I'm not sure I'll be able to persuade them to speak, but I'm, uh, that's, but I'm delighted they do what they're good at, which is making poor people uh, who are sick healthier and and, uh, uh, and able to lead better lives.
0: We do appreciate their work, so please do send on our sincerest regards to them. And thank you so much for your time, Raymond.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for taking the interest.
0: Good night, everybody. That was The Viewpoint. Thanks, everybody, at home.